10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Suffolk, this is The Late Show with Libby Isaac. Good evening, everybody. It is Tuesday, the 1st of February, and this is The Late Show with me, Libby Isaac. Tonight, we talk PE, sport, students' well-being, culture, with Kate Fortin-Bowsford from Youth Sports Trust and Danny Burton, lead practitioner of PE for a trust. So settle down, join in the chat live tonight at Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Suffolk, this is The Late Show with Libby Isaac on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and I hope you've had an absolutely fantastic week, um, and welcome to February. So, in Suffolk here, when you enter February, here comes the wind, basically. It's like all the real cold snaps of the weather arrive in February, and I'll just remind you, last year in February, it snowed, so I absolutely hope that doesn't happen, because... I don't know. I don't know if I like snow that much anymore. It's very cold. Anyway, um, and there's that saying that I think my my nana told me years ago. She used to be a teacher, actually. Um, And I completely think it's true that students go completely wild when it's windy. Now, my one and three year old went completely wild today. And I think I'm going to blame the wind. Um, But we got through. We had a fantastic day. So I hope you've had an absolutely brilliant week yourself. So What I'm going to do um, before we start today's show, and today's show is all about um, sport, it's about PE, I'm going to introduce that in a second and why I'm doing it, Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off with some facts, okay, because I think this resonates quite strongly with where we are um, and why I'm here talking about this subject. So, did you know that only 45% of young people are meeting the Chief Medical Officer guidelines of taking part in sport and physical activity for an average of 60 minutes or more every day? Now, I definitely don't do that. Um, the UK ranked lowest out of 24 European countries for the proportion of 15-year-olds with high life satisfaction. One in seven children are obese by the time they start school, increasing to one in four by year six. 38% of teachers said their PE provision has declined because core subjects have been given additional time. I've definitely seen that in schools, especially with year 11, actually. Year 11 core PE being taken um, because of extra English, extra mass intervention, etc. One in six children have a probable mental disorder. So those are some real, I think, quite hard hitting facts, um, which is why we've got Kate on today. And it's why we've got Danny on today, because they are completely passionate about what they do within schools to promote PE. And it's not just about that PE lesson. So what was PE like for you at school? Was it sort of a vest and pants era for you? Um, I remember when I was at school, there was this sort of real old school 
quite old male PE teacher and he absolutely couldn't get away with with it today um, and he clearly hated you if you didn't like PE um, and he loved you if you're very good at PE um, I don't think he had much time for girls it was all it was all about the boys and he used to have that catchphrase um, that people just he was so renowned and he was so famous for and it was like you boy and he used to shout it like completely shout it in people's faces and he was utterly terrifying I mean I mean his behavior management was amazing um but he was terrifying um but PE always brings some kind of memory um and it's just be really interesting and it'd be really great to hear from you if you had an experience of PE in your school that you would like to share um I suppose when I first started teaching right back when I sort of gravitated towards the PE a team, so to speak, because they always had the best nights out. Um, and then I think they trained me to be a netball coach at one point, And then I did a bit of maternity cover um, within the PE team. So I was well and truly accepted. And I suppose my experience of PE has always been quite positive. Um, but I will talk about that in more depth later on in the show. So as I said, tonight, we have got Kate and we have got Danny joining. Now, Kate Fortin Bounsfield is the head of PE and achievement at the Youth Sports Trust. And Danny Burton, who used to work for the um, Youth Sports Trust, is now a lead practitioner for PE within a schools trust himself. And we're going to be talking about sport. We're not just going to talk about that PE lesson. We're not just going to be talking about everything within it. We're actually going to be talking about the Youth Sports Trust in a bit more detail and how they empower young people and equip educators to do what they do. So like always, this show works incredibly well with you. So please, please, please tune in and ask those questions and ask them live to Kate and Danny. I am absolutely certain they will be more than happy to take your um, questions. And it works really well on Teacher Talk Radio. It's it's our USB. It's what makes us stand out. So please interact as we go. Now, I think sport gives young people a platform to have their voice heard. And we're going to be hearing about that in a bit more depth from Danny and from Kate this afternoon. Um, and it's definitely a place to feel that you belong. But I think it can also be a place to make you feel like you don't belong as well. But we're going to be talking about that too. Um, it can harness the younger generation's extraordinary powers and change young people's lives today and help them build a brighter tomorrow. Now, when I was at school um, in Watford, or near Watford, just outside of Watford, Kings Anglia, and I don't live there anymore, so don't worry. Um, Anthony Joshua actually went to my school and he was in my brother's year, never came in my house. Um, and I think sport saved him, um, but it absolutely saved him. And my dad was actually a governor at the time of that school. And I know that Anthony Glosher was getting into quite a lot of trouble. Um, things weren't going very well for him within school. So they harnessed him to his boxing. I think they introduced him to, you know, to, to get all his emotions and everything back out onto his boxing and it completely saved his life and it completely saved him and look at, at his career now so you know there are so many different stories like that I'll tell you another one actually um and I don't live in a weird place where lots of people um like that arrived but um Vinnie Jones the legend that is Vinnie Jones um used to live in Bothington and he grew up with my best friend's uncle so my best friend's um, nana and granddad took in Vinnie Jones, basically, and he basically lived with them. 
um, because he had other problems going on, etc. And was best friends with my friend's uncle, um, and they grew up together. And obviously, they got him onto the local Bovingdon football team. Um, and look at his career. I mean, he became on Hollywood as well, which is ever so exciting. So definitely, there are some incredibly exciting opportunities within sport there. Just two, just from my hometown. Um, he And actually, I did go to a party with Vinnie Jones once because he was there with my friend. Um, so on the Youth Sports Trust website, because I'm, I'm getting off um, tangent here, it says these three things, and I love these three things. It says that they want to improve health and well-being, develop character and leadership, promote inclusion and empathy. Now, if you're listening and you're a leader with an education, a teacher, or have anything at all to do with education, this show tonight highlights and gives more insight into the power of sport. Now, well-being, leadership, inclusion, empathy, these are all fundamental visions and values for most schools up and down the country. And sport is a platform to help harness, embed and promote them. So I think it's so important. Sport just like the culture of a school. So we know that the culture of a school is your heart and your soul. What runs through the middle of that culture is your SMSE. Now, if you actually look in depth at a PE curriculum, SMSE is everywhere. So it is so incredibly fundamental to get it right within the school. Um, and I put on Twitter, I think, last week that it's not just a PE lesson. It's not just one hour a week. Now, it's been made core for a reason. OK, it has to happen for a reason. So we're going to be finding out in a little bit more detail about that this evening. Um, and if you work in a school setting where you're struggling to get girls motivated, or have underachieving boys, and that's not just within the sort of barriers of PE, but in all aspects of school life, I absolutely, listening to Kate and Stanley tonight, to find out about what a real superb PE curriculum can do for a school will help with those types of barriers as well. So it's absolutely not just about thinking about PE, okay? So it's a lot more than that. And we're going to be spending a lot of time talking through all of these things, all of these questions with Kate and Danny. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the news. Um, when I come back, I'm just going to talk a little bit about some of my experiences um, about within PE at secondary school. If you want to chip in, please do. Um, and then we're going to go in to be talking about all of this with Kate and with Danny. And I'm really interested to find out this evening about how it can help, you know, those underachieving boys or those unmotivated girls in the whole school setting. If, if you're really struggling to get a group of students um, to get their sort of fours in their English and their maths, can PE help them? And in what ways can it can it help them? You know, I want to talk about whether sports days are the same that they used to be when we were at school. Are they the same generic structure or is there more to it? I want to talk about, you know, what happens if you work in a school that doesn't have really great PE facilities, that doesn't really have a sports field. Um, I mean, come on, we must have have listeners even live or when you download later who work in you know urban city schools that just don't have space for these things so how do you harness you know a passion for sport and PE when you don't have the facilities what does that look like so 
If you've got a question, if you're thinking about a question, if you want to talk about your experience, then please, please, please put it in the chat now and we'll get it to our guests in a sec. If Kate's listening, it'll be great if you can um, call in. Somebody's on the chat now. I don't know if that's you. If it is, maybe put yourself in the text box. And Danny, I know you're in here. If you can um, call in as well, that'd be great as well. So just for now, we're going to go and hear from our sponsors and we're going to hear from the news and we're going to hear from our two minute tech. And I'll be back to talk more about my experiences of PE. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cats. To find out more, Follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Wales, a cross-party Senate committee report has said 38% of councils do not have enough childcare for disabled children anywhere in their area. The government in Wales has said that work is underway to expand funding. Mags, a mother of a seven-year-old with autism, told BBC Politics Wales 
that multiple settings have told her that they could not provide the care he needed and she struggled to find funding. She said, I've got comments of this is not the right setting for him or this is not the right setup for your child. It is a constant struggle to feel like you are doing the best for your child. The Welsh Government said, We provide more than £1.5 million a year in support of children with additional needs within the childcare offer and grants of up to 10000 are available to make settings accessible. This year we have also allocated £5 million for local authorities to create accessible play opportunities. In Scotland, the Education Secretary, Shirley Ann Somerville, has been asked to explain how exams can be held fairly, following the news that one in eight pupils were absent from school last week. There were 32,000 pupils absent from school for COVID-related reasons in Scotland on Wednesday. Nearly 2,500 teachers were also absent from work. Ms Somerville has said that she will provide extra support for pupils who have missed school, but exams will go ahead. National fives and hires in the spring will only be cancelled if COVID makes it impossible for pupils to gather in exam rooms. Larry Flanagan of the EIS Teachers Union said it was essential that students were treated fairly and not disadvantaged by COVID isolation. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, as we approach Safe Internet Day next week, it's the 8th of February, if you didn't know, I'm going to take a look at keeping yourself safe as a teacher. I'm not going to go into your digital footprint or how you use social media. That's been covered in your safeguarding training, no doubt, and should be common sense. There is, however, a real grey area when it comes to teachers and using their phones in school. Before I start, all schools should have a policy on mobile phones, and you should have read it. I suggest, if you're not sure what it is, then you find out. There is DFE guidance for searching, screening and confiscating for pupils. For staff, Policies in schools range from SLT having different rules to other staff so they can be contacted to phones must be switched off or on silence when pupils are present. Some are even introducing a smartwatch policy as they become increasingly more popular. The first step to keeping yourself safe is to make sure you know what is expected in your school as it's the individual schools that decide and there is no official guidance. The next step is a choice. Images, still or moving, are a great way to evidence work and to feedback to pupils. If your policy allows it, using your phone is the simplest way as it's always with you. To give a real example, a PE teacher at a match doesn't need to remember to take the school camera and probably has a better camera on their phone anyway. But here's the dilemma. Should teachers have pictures of children on their personal phones? Again, school policy will dictate this and parents will have signed a form saying they give permission or not so you're covered to take the picture but the question still stands, should it be done on a personal device? This is where I feel the need to keep ourselves safe lies. How long do you keep the images on your phone? Are they automatically backed up into your personal cloud? How do you transfer from your device to the 
school storage? What if your phone's lost or stolen? I'm not here to provide an answer. I just want you to think about keeping yourself safe. If you take images on a school device, you avoid all of these issues. It may be a little more effort, but in the rare event of an allegation, it's a lot simpler to investigate. Please think about your use of personal devices in school. And if your policy isn't keeping up with what you're doing, consider raising it. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2020 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Fantastic. As always, what what a great, a great thing they do. So you've got the news, you've got the sponsors, and then you've got your two-minute tech. Now, two things happened in that section. Firstly, my husband, wonderful husband, bought me a cup of tea. So if you heard that, I apologise, but, uh, you know, needs must. And the second thing, there was a tweet out um, about what I said, that PE teachers have the best nights out. Now, I am a history teacher. Um, I do think... I do, yes, very good husband. I do think that the PE teachers definitely provided a lot of entertainment on those nights out. Um, But I've also had incredibly good nights out with other departments, such as the humanities team too. Um, So I don't want to be seen as promoting my love for PE over my history, my fellow historians. But um, let's all go out together, I say. Anyway, enough about that. Um, So what did you think about PE at school? Um, were you in any teams? Now, I was in some teams at school. I was quite good at netball. Um, I was on the hockey team. I'm pretty sure I wasn't that great at hockey, but I was definitely on the hockey team. Um, and I always came second uh, in swimming galas. Um, and that was my life. And backstroke was, I mean, occasionally I came first and it was very well celebrated. My brother always came first in everything. He was the captain of every single team out there. Um, and he used to do it went from that phase, uh, PE stands for physical education. We went through that phase when we were little that I used to beat him at everything. And then as soon as he sort of grew up and became, I think about eight, nine, he beat me at absolutely everything. I didn't like it. So I stopped playing with him. Um, I was also weirdly really good at rounders and that came from primary school. Um, And I loved trampolining. Now, I think my awkward 11 to 16 year old years at schools were slightly saved by playing in teams um, because on a Saturday night, I'd actually go to the galas, swimming galas, instead of the parties. However, I definitely made up for them later. Um, I remember at school how happy it made me feel being part of something, how nervous I felt, and how I always wanted to prove myself and be the best, how included it made me feel to be on the sports team. And also within that, I you would talk to different types of people because, you know, when you were at secondary school in those days, I had lots of different groups of friends, but you tended to stick with your different groups of friends and in your PE teams obviously that inclusivity can't say that very well this evening um it it just it really showed me the value of of different people and and them being out there and you were all brought together on that team so I think that it helped me to focus um it tired me out and it helped me healthy in mind and body so that was sort of my experience at school and I think perhaps I was quite lucky because I do like sport um I mean I've lost it a bit now but I absolutely love sport um but I think if you don't like sport if you didn't like PE at school this is the show for you as well because we're going to be talking about those types of students as well now that is absolutely enough 
from me for now. Um, I'm going to introduce Kate and I'm going to introduce Danny, who are patiently waiting on the phones. So good evening, Kate. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Livy. Thanks for having us on. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. Let's get Danny. Danny, are you okay? Hi, Libby. How are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Very good. Excellent. Both of you, thank you so much for giving up your evening. Now, Teachers Talk Radio, we actually do um, <laughs> we do live video calls um, at the moment. I haven't put myself forward for that because I tend to sit in my pyjamas at 8pm. Uh, so I didn't do that to you this evening, but it's definitely something that I might be doing in the future, maybe in the summer when I feel a little bit more alive in the evenings. But thank you so much for giving up your evening. No worries at all, no worries. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start um, with Kate. So I've got some questions and then I'm going to go through to Danny and I'm going to keep you sort of live connected with each other um, because if if you want to intercept each other, because I know that you work really well together as well, that is absolutely fine. And I can hear that there's no sort of fight back on your sound <laughs> or anything. So that should work really well. No worries. Okay, so Kate, um, first of all, can you just introduce yourself and a bit about your role, your background um, from PE, etc. That'd be great. Yeah, of course. So my name's Kate Thornton-Bowsfield. My current role is Head of PE and Achievement at the Youth Sport Trust. And my background is in secondary physical education. I trained up at Leeds Carnegie, had a fantastic four years up there doing a B.Ed. Um, and then got my first teaching job over in the northwest in, in Blackpool in a school called Carhill. Mm -hmm. Stayed there and then actually got tempted back to my old secondary school in Ormskirk, um, where I became I took on a pastoral role as well as yeah. being in the P department. Then took on um, a head of girls responsibility over at Stanley High School in Southport in Sefton. Mm -hmm. And during my time there, we then had um, the opportunity to write a bid to become a sports college. Um, we became a sports college in 2002. Um, I became head of PE and ultimately then director of specialism and then in charge of 11 to 14 um, and 14 to 16, sorry, vocational education, overseeing and teaching and teaching and learning. So I had a, a varied career. Um, used to work with a lot of primary schools in my time as well, Mirror Sports College, and Brilliant. supported the local authority in upskilling primary teachers to really deliver high quality PE lessons and then was tempted to the YST where to start off with I took on a bit of a hybrid role. I went mm -hmm. part-time at school and was seconded to the YST to support new heads of PE and new directors of specialism into implementing um, the outcomes of, of sports colleges into, into their schools and then went full-time at YST. So, so, so just a small career there, Kate. It's done really well. Um, so I've got, I've got loads of questions and I think we'll, we'll sort of roll with the, the live interaction from the audience as well. Um, so I, I suppose that the first thing for me is, um, have you always wanted to work in PE? And if so, why? Yeah, always wanted to work in PE um, from, a, from being a little girl running around on, on the playground. Um, I suppose there is a little bit of a caveat here. My, my parents were both teachers. Yeah. Um, my dad, who sadly is no longer with us, he was a secondary PE teacher. Mm -hmm. So I th you could say that I always had PE and sport in my bones. Mm -hmm. um, my dad was a rugby league player, an athlete, as was my mum was a hockey player and an athlete as well. So I suppose it was in me. Um, but I, I suppose I probably went into being a PE teacher for pretty different reasons, though. I would say that at primary school, I was, I was pretty able. 
and was in lots of teams um, and I did a lot of sport outside of school. But when I went to secondary school, I was one of those kids that never made the, the first team, the, like the first seven in, in um, netball. Oh, you sound like me, Kate. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and it was, it was a shock to me to start off because I thought I was, I was pretty good. Um, but then when you go to that bigger school and there's so many more kids fighting for the, the, those places and the teams, yeah. you had to dig deep. And I think that's where my, my sort of resilience came through, my determination, tenacity to really keep at it because I absolutely loved it. But at the same time, I was a, a musician as well. I played the piano and the clarinet. So I did have torn allegiances to where I was going to go. And that was probably one of the reasons why I, I you know, wasn't always in, in that first team because I had to go to orchestra on a Tuesday and it clashed with netball. So I had to, I did one week, at, one week at one and then one week at another. But then my real love for sport really did, did shine through. And it, you could say I was a late developer in that and then ultimately went on to be a county hockey player um, and, and tennis player as well. So, um, yeah, I was definitely a late developer, but my passion for PE was really seeing, um, I think a lot of of things you've alluded to already, Libby, uh, the best in people come out, that Mm. it wasn't how academic you were. It was the ability to work with other people, the ability to problem solve, the the laughter that always went on in a lesson. The challenge, the challenge was a personal challenge, but also a team challenge as well. And I just loved being fit, healthy, active. And I was, like you said, I was exhausted on a night when I came Mm. in. And I think I was I became a better person for it. I was able to regulate my emotions a bit better. Um, and certainly now as a mum, we're certainly seeing now how our three kids are growing up with sport at the heart of what they yeah, do as well. Definitely. So, yeah. So always wanted to be a PE teacher. If I wasn't going to be a PE teacher, though, I always wanted to be like a PT instructor in the RAF or something like that. But teaching certainly, uh, certainly grabbed me. Absolutely. And, uh, do you know what? I just I just like talking to people that are so passionate about what they do. I think it, it just it it's everything in teaching isn't yeah. it um so danny can you can you just sort of do the same thing can you introduce a little bit about your role your background etc and then can you sort of talk to us about you know have you always wanted to work in pe and why um and go from there that'd be great yeah no worries at all um uh, hi everybody my name's danny burton um i'm based here in norfolk but work in suffolk and i've spent the last I don't know, 13 or so years working in Suffolk and living in Norfolk. So it's quite nice to, to have two counties that are close to each other, which do things slightly differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started my career um, at a small rural school in Norfolk, um, out on the North Norfolk coast. Um, I spent my first year, my NQT year there as a PE teacher and learning my trade in a small school. Um, and then got offered the opportunity to transition across to a, to a big successful sports college um, in Suffolk. Uh, it was an opportunity that I really wanted to grab with both hands, with everything that was singing and dancing and doing all things peace, school, sport, physical activity in a in a big in a big place. Um, and my time there, I was there for ten years, and my career kind of accelerated um, unexpectedly. If I'm honest with you, I, I went from a PE teacher to overseeing key stage three PE in a big school. Um, I then decided to take on a pastoral role. Um, and then was given the opportunity uh, with a bit of staff changeover, turnover, to um, take on the director of specialism just at the end of the sports college era. So yeah. I had one year of of guiding the ship through the, the nice things we had as a sports college to a role that was really about sustaining what we built as a sports college and trying to have a whole school impact in terms of PE, school sport and physical activity, as well as trying to maintain a partnership of primary schools that were buying into a school sports offer. 
Um, and I did that for two or three years um, and then had the opportunity to work with Kate over at Esport Trust. So I had an opportunity there to really put a stamp on PE nationally in secondary schools. And it was an opportunity I had to grab with both hands, really, to, to be passionate about my subject, but to have an influence across secondary schools across the country was, was one that was really exciting. Um, and I did that for 18 months and just missed the classroom. So I was, from September, I was back into a school in, in a small trust in Suffolk, um, where I work now across three or four different schools, um, trying to really embed the things I learned through the Sport Trust, working with Kate into these small rural schools that, that need the best teachers the most. Yeah, and I, like man after my own heart there, going back to the classroom. I think that's 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 brilliant. Um, so I, I, you both you both sort of said it that, and you can tell that your your sort of careers have accelerated. And I don't I don't think that's that's something that just just happens. I think it has got a lot to do with when when you do or you're interested in PE or you study it or just as you as you guys have done. You know, your qualities are to do with leadership. Your qualities are to, to do with resilience, determination, integrity, because you have all that when you're playing those sports or when you're sort of training and modelling that to students and young people. So I don't think it's it's a surprise to see that you guys have accelerated your careers quite quickly. And it's not a surprise to see that around education across the country either. And I think that, that's I what... Think, yeah, I think P, P teachers have a... There's a certain... Um, I guess, attitude and persona, which is attached to the standard PE teacher and, and one that I think has pros and cons. You can look at the, the traditional PE teacher, like the, the PE teacher you alluded to from your experiences at <laughs> Ledge. school. yeah. <laughs> and then you've got, I guess, what, what I would frame as the modern day PE teacher. And I, I do yeah. think we're a rare breed that have a certain skill set that allows us to be adaptable, dynamic, creative people. But also when you look at the pedagogy, questioning, um, the ability to um, present students with problems that they need to solve creatively and all those kind of things comes a second nature to be teachers, as well as developing those relationships that are so, so important. Um, you know, the amount of PE teachers that move into pastoral roles mm. in schools is huge. Well, I think, and also you just, you never sit down. So you're, you're, you know, you're doing, you're doing the lunchtime clubs, you're doing the after school clubs, you're doing the athletic meets. And I used to do them as well till, I don't know, don't get home to about half, half eight, nine. And then, you know, that's just part of your role. It's part of your job. Um, and that's very different if you're, for example, teaching history, because my day would at that point end, you know, at four o'clock at the latest in the summer. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of qualities in there, which, obviously we want to sort of model and, and bring into into secondary schools. So Kate, can you talk to us a little bit about what the Youth Sports Trust is? I certainly can. So we are the UK's leading children's charity that look at improving every young person's education and development through sport and play. Mm -hmm. And what we try to do is empower young people and equip the educators to transform lives through the, the sporting opportunities and play and together try and create opportunities for everyone to belong and achieve. So it's really listening to those young people, listening to what their challenges are, listening to what they want to achieve in life, and then working with our teachers and our support staff and the whole school workforce to try and make that happen, but to try and give them the best opportunities possible. And at the moment, we've got to really try and focus on those kids that maybe don't get the opportunity to yeah. get involved in sport and physical activity outside the day, where their only opportunity to be active is in school so we've got to try and make sure that PE lesson absolutely gets to the heart of what they, those kids need but also that they, those hours in school are, spelt, are spent productively where they understand the importance of being physically active and ultimately 
my mantra was always, if a child hasn't found what's going to float their boat by the time they leave us at 16 to do with physical activity, we've absolutely failed them. So it's giving them those broad, balanced opportunities, as many activities as possible to grow that love and passion, you know, for their sport or or their physical activity. Because we've got to remember, Libby, that it isn't always about the sport. For a lot of our children, that physical education experience is just about finding their thing. And it might mm-hmm. not be in competitive sport. That outcome of sport is only there for some pupils. So we've just got to make sure that everybody understands and values physical activity as well. And I think I think when I when I first started to be a teacher, so I did do a little bit within the, the PE department and that wasn't just the nights out. <laughs> um, I'd, um, and I remember sort of standing there and I was with the head of PE at the time. And for me, it was watching, I think it was like a year nine doing their cross country around the field. And it was teaching those students that it's OK to be out of breath, yeah. um, that that feeling of exhaustion is okay and a lot of them were still a bit you know they wouldn't push themselves and they felt shocked to feel like that and it caused them to sort of cry or you know not want to participate etc and it's it's teaching them that that is what exerts I can't say that word tonight (laughs) thank you that's what um you know real aerobic physical activity does to your body and why you know that that can be a very good thing mm. at times and how, i was quite alarming shocked is it now libby it's so alarming that so many young yeah. people can't can't do that they just can't no. sustain and this was year physical. nine this was year nine so you know i don't, I don't know what they were doing in year seven and eight um or, or primary school like the, the fact that you get that far along and you, you know you're expected to run around the field three times and we weren't even allowed to do cross country outside of school because of all the sort of safeguarding restrictions that were brought in that year you know it was literally around a field and mm. just like crying you know hysterics you know pretending to be sick or faint and just because they didn't understand that you know that that's as part of your body so um so it's really interesting to talk to you tonight because it's really like bringing you know bringing up some of the things that I experienced when I was training to be a teacher Mm. and I think Libby if you don't mind me sort of saying as well and PE teaching has massively moved on and yeah we're talking to a lot of people who who's who's sort of uh, memories of PE aren't great they Absolutely. are running around yeah. a muddy field in you know dare I say it, I was in the ones in the gym knickers and, and PE has come a long long way and we've got to give credit where credit's due to some of those amazing teachers out there who really are trying to transform what physical education is about re-edu- re-educate not only our young people but a generation of parents who maybe didn't have the best experiences maybe didn't have the mm-hmm. wonderful experience of PE that I had that it's quite easy to say if their young child is not enjoying PE or their teenager is not enjoying PE, we'll quite easily give them the note to be excused. And that's what we're really trying to do at the moment is get to the hearts and minds of society to make sure they really understand and value what physical education is about because it isn't just about those sports skills. It's not just about being good at sport. It's as Danny said, we've got a huge challenge in society at the moment, certainly from the pandemic about physical and mental health. And it's the development of those crucial life skills, life skills that you've just spoken about that we really need to educate whole society around that that's what comes out of great physical education as well. Not just the sport, but those life skills that stay with us forever. Absolutely. And I think in the instruction, and I, and I want, to, want to talk about it later on as well a little bit, it's not just about hitting those underachieving boys and those unmotivated girls within your PE lesson. It's how sport and PE can help 
you know, help that across the whole school. Yeah. Um, and, mm-hmm. I, and I think it's really important that people people see that as well. Um, so, Danny, can you give us some actual examples of what Kate was talking about? So it's not just, you know, running around a field three times for cross country. So what are some of these activities that you you take into schools now that make PE more than it was, for example, 10, 15, 20 years ago? I think I think the first thing that I've realised, particularly after working nationally with, with along with Kate and the Sport Trust, is is how we actually frame the subject itself. And a lot of the the a lot of, a lot of the people in school, particularly those decision makers that make decisions around how the curriculum, the whole curriculum, looks and feels within a school, mm. are usually those people that have a perception of PE based on what the traditional PE model was and what they experienced themselves as a young person. So everything you've alluded to there would be most P, most teachers' perception of PE, but it but it is a lot different. And the first thing that I've tried to do is try to remove sport completely. And if you go into any classroom on a learning walk within a school and you say, what, what are you doing in PE today? I want all of the young people that I teach to move away from we're doing football today or we're doing yeah. football today because the sport is, is yes, is an important outcome there. And there's some skills within that activity that we have to teach and develop if we want those young people to engage in those activities themselves outside of school. But, but there's other things that are much more important. Um, just getting these young people physically active has never been as important as it, as it is now. You alluded to the 45%. The, the data actually sunk as low as 14% during the peak of the pandemic. 14% of wow. young people yeah. doing 60 minutes of activity a day. And if, we, and if we're honest, most of the people we get in the secondary school space, most of the young people we have only do PE lessons. That's the only physical activity they get. In their, in, their, in their social lives, in, in their lifestyles. So we've got to maximise that time. And I guess the other thing that we can do as a pretty easy win as, as PE staff is just to get young people active as quickly as possible. Um, so if you go back to a traditional model, there would be lots of teacher talk and, and I guess PE teacher over-teaching and trying to focus on technical drills and technical skills, whereas now it's been much more important for us PE staff to, to just get people active quickly and as as much as possible during those 60 minutes we have within their lesson times absolutely and I I think I'm just trying to relate that to a subject like history for example for me a great history lesson is when I get students talking about history Mm -hmm. and and doing that for themselves and it's absolutely it's nothing nothing else and actually if if they're interrogating the history if they're talking the history if they're asking each other the questions and I can sit back and think wow I've got some historians here that then I'm I'm feeling really good about that day and that lesson and I suppose that's what you're saying within PE as well exactly and and I guess that's part partly to um due to the, the great work that the sports colleges did. And I know that Kate and I have both alluded to them, but I honestly feel that that, that was a, a huge success that across the country, we had these beacon schools that were trying to position PE, school, sport and physical activity much more differently than, than the tradition would suggest. Mm-hmm. And, and they were the real trailblazers. And it, you can speak to any head teacher that were involved in those sports colleges. And I think hand on heart, most of them would say that it's probably one of the most successful initiatives that they've, that they've seen within schools that we they were really trailblazing the subject and trying to have a whole school impact through PE rather than just the the niche that caters for the sporty kids that are most engaged and are doing yeah. probably sport in their own time themselves anyway. 
Absolutely. Um, I'm just just throwing you out questions here. I know um, I'm going off script a little bit, but so after everything that you've just said, and I suppose this is for for Kate and Danny as well, should should they change the GCSE requirements or the A level requirements? Mm-hmm. And I know they're very traditional routes for people to study at schools, but they don't really seem to match oh, what you're talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you look at the data, um, the the numbers of students that actually choose to do GCSE PE is sinking. And if, we, and if it doesn't change, it's going to continue to sink and, and our subject's in danger. Um, but the GCSE course now is so difficult for students mm. to engage with. Um, for, to give you an example, if, if you're a footballer, you need to be playing a very, very good standard of football to be able to get a mark. And, and that's only a small percentage of the total mark anyway. Um, it's, it's applied science. And the students that mm. tend to be guided towards PE as an option at Key Stage 4 tend to be those that, that can't access that part of the curriculum. So, yeah, it it's massively needs to change. And, and I guess that's why the subject has, has started to evolve. Yeah. It's starting to cater for the majority of young people rather than that small minority that might choose to, to take it as a accredited course at Key Stage 4. And, and I just uh, like my, I spoke about my brother earlier. Like He's an incredibly clever boy and he did um, uh, four A-levels and he got three A's in English, maths, history, and he got one mark off an A, so his lowest grade of B in PE. And he was like, literally, they just made up, made up the history for it. It just didn't seem to match what, you know, what sport's supposed to be about for him or what PE was supposed to be about for him. So, you know, it's really, it's really good to hear that. Like, who, who's, who could change them then? Where does that come from? Uh, well, it comes from um, Ofqual, other people that would, would make the decisions around the actual GCC qualification. But the examination boards, I think they're, they're t- their hands are tied, to be honest. Um, there was a reform a few years back where they reviewed the activities because most secondary schools in the country would play the game a little bit. And if I'm honest, I, 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 I did the same myself. And we'd, go f- we'd put our students through a range of activities, not because they were good at them, not because they'd practiced lots, because they were easier to access the better marks. Um, you, you alluded to, to rounders. That was one that I think most schools across the yeah, country jumped on. To Table and, tennis. <laughs> yeah, to try and, you know, and we had boys that were being graded in rounders that, that had never been taught rounders as part of their traditional PE curriculum, whereas girls mm. that had had rounders provision from an earlier age all the way through were accessing equal marks when it got to GCSE it just wasn't fair so lots of lots of um lots of changes have happened over the last five six seven years within PE and and it, and it hasn't been for the better in terms of w- what students leave with when they get to the end of key stage four if they choose to opt for PE. And I think Libby if you don't mind me coming in here I think what okay, we're looking to here is actually the GCSE physical education isn't a qualification that assesses what goes on in core PE. It isn't a qualification that assesses what the majority of young people do. Yeah. I think therein, it, therein is what lies our, our problem and concern around where the subject is. Because until we have a, the assessment of PE as a national benchmark or national standards, PE kind of doesn't get that status. And, and AFPE are doing some great work at the moment about trying to champion physical education being a core subject, so having the same importance as science, as maths, as English, and making sure that physical literacy is there with the literacy and numeracy standards. But when PE teachers, and and unfortunately PE teachers in the secondary space, are judged on their GCSE grades or their BTEC grades, it is absolutely wrong and we're never going to get the change right because that is, as Danny has said, 
probably the minority, well, it's not probably, it is the minority of pupils that they teach. They should absolutely, for their performance management, be judged on the development of 100% of pupils through core physical education, which then goes back to people really understanding and championing what the subject is about. And what we've tried to do at YST and what, what is new to not new this year is we've introduced um, an award for core physical education which is something that um, recognises and rewards the development of life skills in and through physical education that every single child can access, which ultimately the end of 12 years of physical education can say, this is me, this is what I can do in my PE lesson, in physical activity, breaks, lunch times and after school, in sport and in community. And that becomes a true reflection of who they are through what they have developed and learned through high quality physical education. And it's new. It's the first mm. one out there, but it's trying to get people to understand the value of physical education, that it isn't just about those kids that go on to do GCSE and then ultimately A-level PE. That has become very, very elitist. And I think I think another argument here is that we've got, you know, we've got to stop um, matching up our performance management to our, you know, year 11 data it just, just doesn't doesn't really seem right, especially for, for a PE teacher right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, some really good things there. So what else does the Youth Sport Trust um, do in terms of qualifications? Well, nothing, nothing towards qualifications. We pretty much work with um, people like sports leaders who uh, yeah. support the, the development of leaders through in and through physical education and sport. I and mean, it's creating those opportunities to develop that youngster in whichever pathway they want to go. And it's opening up those doors and making them realise that sport might be an outlet as a performer, but as yeah. an official, as a coach, or as, a, as, a, as somebody who, who wants to go and watch it. Um, and make them really understand what, what physical education and sport is all about. But what we are trying to do is, is find that balance. And at this moment in time, we've got a real responsibility to the workforce, working with others in the sector to make sure children are getting high quality physical education, physical activity and school sport. And making sure that um, certainly from the, the impact of the pandemic, that people are understanding the importance of getting our children active, um, not just physically, but mentally as well, and overcoming some of those challenges that we've got. And I think, you know, if we look at children at, at the moment, there's a real battle with screen time. Um, and people always say to me, you know, how do we get the kids out playing? And do we go again? Do we stop? Do we take the screens away? And for me, it's about finding a balance. Technology isn't going away. We're seeing some great examples and we work with people in the sector who are utilising screens and utilising technology to engage kids in physical activity. So it's how we can kind of work with the technologies of today to keep kids motivated. And actually, more children have started to access sport and physical activity through engaging through a, a laptop or an iPhone or something to keep them active during the pandemic. So it's trying to get some of the learnings from that as well. Um, but what we're trying to do at the moment is really focus on those kids that don't get don't get um, a lot outside and try and close those gaps in the inequalities as well. As you've you've hinted at already, uh, making sure there's something for every boy and every girl within within the school space, whether it's through girls active or boys move. Which I know Danny was heavily involved in boys move as well. Is really trying to listen to children and make sure that we are then being able to put different activities together, different programs of support together to help them access a rich and broad and balanced curricula and one of our big challenges at the moment is is um health and well-being 
Mm. And Active in Mind is one of our big programs at the moment, which is all around peer mentoring and supporting those young people who are having problems with their well-being and creating and innovating with the young people to give them specific targets in, in, in particular, uh, particular groups of pupils who need extra support in, in overcoming some of these challenges. And I know Danny did a lot of work with, with Boys Move and Active in Mind whilst he was with YST and has taken it into his school today. Well, I think I think um, a really good PSHE lead or um, PE lead is, you know, you get together because obviously health and well-being comes across the PSHE mm-hmm. curriculum as well. And you sort of map out together sort of how you can um, embed that even further within schools would be a really good idea. So I think um, just just on what you were saying there, Kate, have you ever seen that statistic flip because of the pandemic? Are there examples where actually students who weren't doing a lot um, before came back and were doing even more sport, for example, because they were home a lot more and they were, I don't know, being modelled by their their parents or their carers or anything like that. Is there is there anything that goes the other way with those statistics? There is, Libby. And um, what we actually yes. saw was, and it was this was a great statistic. What and I, you know, I can't remember the actual numbers, but we saw more families being active together. And yep. valuing physical activity and valuing that family time. And one of our one of our PE catalysts, uh, Guy, who's over in in Stratford, he noticed that when those children came back into school after the pandemic, they had more pupils wanting to get involved in extracurricular than ever before. And he would say it was the children that had never engaged in, in extracurricular. They were the, the children that maybe particularly didn't like PE actually turned a corner, realised and valued the freedom, the outdoor, the, the enjoyment. They, they understood the release of those endorphins, the, the happy mm. feelings that you get, the impact that it had on you as a, as a, as a young person. And his extracurricular programme has gone through the roof. And that has started to be replicated um, across the country. So we're starting to see a bit of a flip as well. And this is, this is the moment. This is PE's moment now. Mm-hmm. We've heard, you know, so many different people champion and, and really say the importance of physical activity and physical education to a young person, helping them recover from this pandemic. So we've got to go for this now and get it right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'm so sometimes it's sometimes we dwell sometimes on the negatives of the pandemic, and I think there are always there's got to be some positives in there that we can um, we can highlight as well. So it's really great to hear. Um, so, Danny, um, I suppose um, within your role at the moment, mm-hmm. um, can you just highlight um, to me some of the core values and aspects of what you think a great PE curriculum is? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, one of the things that attracted me to the role to start with, other, other than trying to get myself back into a school because I dismissed the chalk face, um, <laughs> was to try and influence uh, or to challenge the tradition. And, and I work very closely with three pretty rural secondary schools and all three schools, I think, if, upon reflection, a self-reflection, they'd all be honest and say that they have quite a traditional PE programme. Mm. So I'm really... Um, just, tr- just trying to challenge that and change that to try and have a modern fit for purpose P curriculum, which caters for the majority of young people, like we've been discussing tonight, um, rather than the, the elite and, and those that are already engaged with physical activity and school sport. And what, what is a modern P curriculum? It's, it's, it's got to be something that's inclusive. It's got to be something that's relevant. Um, what we assess is going to be really important as well. So that's my next challenge is to, is to really look at, across the trust what what do we want our young people to leave our schools with so by the end of their education journey when they leave school in year 11 
what do we want PE to have done within those you know, five years they were with us in the secondary school and plus all of the years that they had in the primary phase before they joined us? And if we can get that question right, I think we can really put something together that's quite purposeful. And, and if we speak to young people, um, I reckon 10% of them would, would, would articulate that they want to be better at a sport. You know, the 10% of those young people that go to your football clubs, that go to your netball clubs outside of school already, they, they want skill progression and performance-related content within their PE curriculum. But what about the majority? And if we look at employability skills, one of the top employability skills that employers look for when young people leave school or college is decision-making. Yeah. Well, well we, we teach a subject here that has it in abundance. Every PE lesson, students have to make decisions, whether it's tactical, whether it's strategies, whether it's how, how to set up a piece of equipment, whether it's how, who, how, who and how do I work with other young people within small groups. We, we've got it in abundance. We just need to make sure we, uh, we try to emphasize that in terms of the outcomes that we're trying to produce from the subject rather than those sport-specific skills that, that have been the tradition. So my role at the moment is really to challenge that across across the three schools that I work closely with and, and to really shape something that's new and meaningful for our young people. Um, but what we do have in the three schools that I currently work between is is um, a quite deprived young people from deprived backgrounds and, yeah. and, and that need it the most. So, so there's a real challenge here to, to try and position PE, school sport and physical activity very differently and to try and shape perceptions. Um, most, most young people have... That, that we come into contact with have have this real negative perception that PE is just about being good at sport, and uh, I'm really trying to challenge that as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I think I think um, so. I, I live in an area where um, I know a lot of a lot of mums and dads, parents, carers are sending their students, or one of the reasons why they're sending their students to a particular secondary school is because they've got really good sports facilities mm. um, compared to another secondary school and that that's sort of the reason why they send them there and mm. it's like a selling point it seems like a selling point so how can you support sort of teachers that are listening or going to download later the podcast at another time um that work in schools that don't have those facilities yeah. how how can you help them when it comes to recruiting students or you know enhancing mm. that school culture when it comes to PE Absolutely. And, and I guess it's rose tinted glasses, isn't it? And, and when, when parents have these open evenings and, um, and you know, tours of the school, it's, it's very easy to be, to be guided by the, the shiny classrooms and the, and the big astroturf and all those kind of state of the art facilities that could be there to cater. But the first thing I'd look at is, is what do you actually do? Because you could have state-of-the-art facilities, you could have a fitness suite that's equipped with £50,000 worth of treadmills and bikes and all that kind of thing. But what do you actually have on offer for your young people? Do you have a lunchtime provision where young people can turn up and be active? Or are there barriers still in the way that we see across schools across the country where, where young people aren't being active? And the people that are being active are the same young people that are already active outside school. So I think my advice for teachers, for schools, and particularly parents and families when they're looking at schools is, is to look a layer deeper. What, what is the intent of those provisions that the school are putting forward? And, and are they fit for purpose for, you, for your young person? And mm. if the answer is yes, brilliant. You've got a, you've got a nice school there. And I, and I think schools need to do more to try and target those that need to be more active more often. Um, for years, you know, if, if we re reflect as PE teachers... I, I would spend, and you've alluded to it earlier tonight, um, 
the hours of time I would put into my football teams, my rugby teams. I mean, the summer cricket teams, a cricket match can last anything upwards from three hours. <laughs> yeah. um, is that good use of my time? As, as a PE teacher, I'm taking 11 students that are probably already playing cricket for their clubs in the local community out on a, on a different provision. Is, is that best use of my time? Or could my time be used more effectively to stay after school with a group of young people that are completely inactive to do an activity that might engage them in a different way? And, and hand on heart, I think that would be much better use of my time. I guess, I guess there needs to be a balance there. And like Kate said, there's, you know, we, we've learned lots through the pandemic. And one of the things is, is we can get more people more active more often. But I guess those that have been completely inactive because of the pandemic and lockdown are those that probably play for the football teams, your netball teams, your rugby teams outside school because all of that provision stopped and paused. So we do need to have a balance between that within schools. But definitely my advice for all schools and families are to look a layer deeper what actually is on offer in your schools? And is there something on offer that's going to motivate the majority of young people? That's a very good answer. Thank you very much. Um, so what I'm going to do now, Kate and Danny, is I'm just going to go to the news. Um, it's about five minutes long, so please get some water and I'll put you on mute. Um, and when we come back, I'm just going to ask uh, both of you, actually, um, you know, how you would tackle a group of unmotivated young people um, and what sort of techniques could you use? Could you give some examples for us as well? That'd be great. So we'll be back in about five minutes. OK? No worries at all. No worries. Thank you very much. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. 
we need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Wales, a cross-party Senate committee report has said 38% of councils do not have enough childcare for disabled children anywhere in their area. The government in Wales has said that work is underway to expand funding. Mags, a mother of a seven-year-old with autism, told BBC Politics Wales that multiple settings have told her that they could not provide the care he needed and she struggled to find funding. She said, I've got comments of this is not the right setting for him or this is not the right setup for your child. It is a constant struggle to feel like you are doing the best for your child. The Welsh Government said, We provide more than £1.5 million a year in support of children with additional needs within the childcare offer and grants of up to 10000 are available to make settings accessible. This year, we have also allocated £5 million for local authorities to create accessible play opportunities. In Scotland, the Education Secretary, Shirley Ann Somerville, has been asked to explain how exams can be held fairly, following the news that one in eight pupils were absent from school last week. There were 32,000 pupils absent from school for COVID-related reasons in Scotland on Wednesday. Nearly 2,500 teachers were also absent from work. Ms Somerville has said that she will provide extra support for pupils who have missed school, but exams will go ahead. National fives and hires in the spring will only be cancelled if COVID makes it impossible for pupils to gather in exam rooms. Larry Flanagan of the EIS Teachers Union said it was essential that students were treated fairly and not disadvantaged by COVID isolation. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, as we approach Safe Internet Day next week, it's the 8th of February, if you didn't know, I'm going to take a look at keeping yourself safe as a teacher. I'm not going to go into your digital footprint or how you use social media. That's been covered in your safeguarding training, no doubt, and should be common sense. There is, however, a real grey area when it comes to teachers and using their phones in school. Before a start, all schools should have a policy on mobile phones, and you should have read it. I suggest, if you're not sure what it is, then you find out. There is DFE guidance for searching, screening and confiscating for pupils, for staff, 
Policies in schools range from SLT having different rules to other staff so they can be contacted to phones must be switched off or on silence when pupils are present. Some are even introducing a smartwatch policy as they become increasingly more popular. The first step to keeping yourself safe is to make sure you know what is expected in your school as it's the individual schools that decide and there is no official guidance. The next step is a choice. Images, still or moving, are a great way to evidence work and to feedback to pupils. If your policy allows it, using your phone is the simplest way as it's always with you. To give a real example, a PE teacher at a match doesn't need to remember to take the school camera and probably has a better camera on their phone anyway. But here's the dilemma. Should teachers have pictures of children on their personal phones? Again, school policy will dictate this and parents will have signed a form saying they give permission or not, so you're covered to take the picture, but the question still stands, should it be done on a personal device? This is where I feel the need to keep ourselves safe lies. How long do you keep the images on your phone? Are they automatically backed up into your personal cloud? How do you transfer from your device to the school storage? What if your phone's lost or stolen? I'm not here to provide an answer. I just want you to think about keeping yourself safe. If you take images on a school device, you avoid all of these issues. It may be a little more effort, but in the rare event of an allegation, it's a lot simpler to investigate. Please think about your use of personal devices in school. And if your policy isn't keeping up with what you're doing, consider raising it. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2020 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome back. So it's the 1st of February. Obviously, I'm Libby Isaac. This is The Late Show. And tonight we're talking PE. We're talking well-being. We're talking school culture. Um, We're talking everything to do with that. And I've got Danny and I've got Kate on the show. um, And they've inspired me, actually. And actually, as I suppose, as a a leader within education myself, within some of the schools that I I work for, it's, it's really understanding and getting to grips with what a PE curriculum needs and should look like now and how that can be mapped out against uh, some of the other curriculums within the school as well. So it's been a really, really inspirational um, evening for me. So just before the news, we went to the news, I said to Kate and Danny, um, I want them to think about how would they deliver PE to a group of unmotivated young people? And it would be really great to get some real sort of live examples there. So let's kick off with Danny and then Kate, if you intercept as we go, that would be great. Yeah, no worries at all. So I guess when you asked me that question, it resonates really strongly to the school that I currently work in. So I started in September and had to quickly um, analyse and reflect on what the PE curriculum looked like, um, where the where the barriers were to participation, and and what students um, were perceiving the subject to be doing. And um, and I quickly realised that um, that there was a huge amount of students that that were completely unmotivated and disengaged from the subject as a whole. So mm-hmm. so it's a challenge that I'm currently trying to tackle within the school that I'm that, that I'm based in. Um, so I guess the first thing, and the most important thing, is to, is to gain some student insight. And Ofsted will always talk about student voice and the importance of student voice. Um, but I feel really passionately that we need to try and include that within the curriculum design phase um, and really try to understand those barriers that young people go through. Um, and within my school, the, the, the biggest barrier seems to be the changing rooms, whether the, the change rooms for some people are perceived as an unplaced or an unsafe space. Uh, where students don't have the confidence to go in to change adequately um, to get out and effectively into their lessons? Or is it what they're actually wearing? So is, is the PE kit on offer um, too expensive so that, that the young people are embarrassed to actually come into mm-hmm. school 
um, because they don't have what they should have? Or is it just not fit for purpose? Are they things that the young people don't like to wear? Um, we've seen a significant increase in the amount of females that opt to, to wear leggings now, whereas you know back in my days at school, um, you know, girls wanted to wear shorts, the same as boys. So we really need to, to listen to the young people to find out what those barriers are. Um, and then a step further to that, I, I've alluded to curriculum design, but, but that's really, really important. And going back to my question before, what do we want our young people to leave with when they exit your school at the end of year 11? And we need the young people to really understand that and, and to, to, to really guide the young people through that decision-making process to understand what they want to get out of their PE as well. Um, and if it's that active 60 minutes of, of activity a day, if we're trying to work towards that, then what can we do to equip the young people with the skills, with the confidence, um, with, with the knowledge that they can engage with those kind of things themselves outside of the, the one or two hours of PE, curriculum PE they get per week. Um, so one of the things that I've looked at doing is to completely strip back the sport. So, uh, you know, in any secondary school, you've got a timetable and you've got the facilities that are available to the staff you've got on teaching PE at that time. But we're trying to move away from teaching a unit of football or a unit of basketball, or a unit of netball, and trying to move towards, right, you've got a unit, you've got that facility for that unit of work. What do we want that unit to achieve? And if it's physical literacy, if it's fundamental movement skills, if it's communication skills, whatever it might be, it's then up to the, the practitioner, the teacher, to have a bit of autonomy around what the activities they deliver within that lesson context are. Um, yeah. And if you try and structure your curriculum around that way, rather than sports specific, we can really look at you know, making a purposeful, relevant PE curriculum that the, un that the young people really understand that, oh, actually, if I get involved with this, it's going to translate and I'll be able to apply this skills and knowledge to something else that I'm going to need later in life. Whereas if we continue on this traditional kind of curriculum design that, that, we, that we experienced when we were at school, why do I, why do I want to be able to perform a layup? You know, I, I'm not going to be a professional basketballer. There, there's no provision for that in the UK anyway. Um, wh why is that going to help me? And, and, and I think on reflection, it's not. So what, what can I do to make the young people that I've got in my classes to understand how what we're doing in their PE lessons translates to them in their lives? But teaching some things that they don't know. Um, you know so everyone starts on that kind of zero level, play, level playing field. Um, mm. Chuck ball has been brilliant, and one one of the things that we did what, as a sport. What is Chuck boy ball? It's 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 a, it's a really inclusive sport. Which I have to be honest, when I first heard about it, I thought I thought it was nonsense because the sport itself you can score at both ends, and it's non-contact and it's invasion sport. So when someone explained it to me, I was like, that that just doesn't doesn't work for me. I, I couldn't quite get my head around it. But when I started to see it embedded. I saw young people with smiles on their face. I, I could see the least active and probably less able young people within a class on the same level playing field as everyone else in the group. I could see everybody involved. Um, I could see people understanding and learning the tactics and skills because it was new to all of the class at the same time. So I've tried to use that experience that, that I got many years ago from our sports college status to where I am now. What, what new activities can I introduce to my young people too that put everyone on that level playing field um so they're all starting to learn a new sport to learn tactics to learn strategies to learn skills together um and that's been really successful um spike ball has been really really uh, popular in the in the us i've teamed up with um with zero bounds um they've tried to 
to create a sport called Roundnet in the UK. And if you're interested, just just type up Zero Bounds um, in, in Google and you can look up the website. But it's really inexpensive, like a kit's £30. And there's it's a bit of kit that you can put out on a playground and just let young people play and, and be mm. creative and, and have a go. But more things like that, that, you, that young people can start to understand what are the skills we're trying to teach and trying to develop and how do they relate and how and how does that have any relevance to what these young people are going to need in the future i think that's the holy grail and if yeah. we can answer that and get the young people to really understand it then we're then we're going to be on a winner i think i think that's the whole point of every it should be the point of every curriculum delivered in schools is that you look at the students that you're delivering to their surroundings their background and you know you design a curriculum for them because mm. not not all curriculums are going to work um within different areas of, of different countries and i think i think it what you've just explained within p like it's it's really really incredibly important and valuable but i can absolutely see how mm. that works within a humanities curriculum uh, within an english curriculum thinking about the books that you're going to be reading thinking about you know the students um, and so what what they need to know um, in order for them to be successful in life. So for I think, sure. yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, Kate, have you got anything to add there? I have, yeah. I mean, you're just raising some fascinating points and Danny agree 100%. The child has to be the driver. The learner has mm. to be the driver for what we teach. And I think some, you know, we, as PE teachers, some of us have been guilty and I hold my hands up here as well in the past where we've taught the sport that we've loved and just because we've loved it, it doesn't mean that 36 kids in front of us are going to love it. And I think it's really understanding the needs of those learners to make sure that, as Danny has said, we put a fresh activity in where it is a level playing field. Because when when you're up against um, children that maybe already played at county level, there's always there's all, 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 always a barrier there to those kids that can do and those kids that perceive that they can't do. So you've yeah. got a real issue then around confidence and competence. So Danny mentioned about um, student voice, the most powerful thing that we can listen to. And Danny's already mentioned around the kit and the changing rooms. And I'm going to take it a step further into the groupings, the pedagogical approaches mm -hmm. that we use as well. Do we get them to demonstrate in front of the whole class? Why? You know, particularly that child that's really frightened about getting it wrong and I remember my dissertation the title of my dissertation at university was if I get it wrong the class laugh and it was my real understanding of that pressure on that individual to that sounds like a great book that you could publish there Kate <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was really profound to me during my teaching practices that you asked a child to to demonstrate to perform they the, the right child who was confident could do it no problem but you picked on the wrong child and you've destroyed that child if they get it wrong. So it's really mm. making sure that, the, that we are confident as teachers and as practitioners that we understand not just the physical needs of those learners, but their emotional and cognitive needs as well. And that what we're asking them to do, yes, they're comfortable with. Yes, it's an appropriate challenge. But what, as Danny said, if they've got to perform a layup, why do they need to perform a layup? And why do they certainly need to perform it in front of 30 kids? It's really understanding, you know, the needs needs of those young learners. And what we've tried to do at, at YST is, is put in an, an approach to teaching physical education, which is around encompassing the whole person. So we've talked about relevance and purpose and that young person valuing that physical education experience. 
if they do physical education, they don't value the sport, and we're we're teaching a sport curriculum, we've probably turned them off for life. So it's around valuing what they're being taught and what they're getting out of it. Now, if that youngster knows that they are developing both in their thinking skills, their ability to work with other people in the collaboration, their social skills, they're also developing how to control their emotions when we're getting them to do certain tasks and challenges, they're more likely to engage in the subject. But we're not going to know how they're going to engage until we ask them and work with them to make sure that the approach that we take is, is an all right approach. You know, these people have a voice. These people are going to be going on to lead our country. They need to make sure they, they are vocal within our PE lessons as well. And let them design the curriculum with us. Let's look at the groupings. Do, do we just separate on sex? Do we separate on ability? There is no right way. There is no wrong way. And we've got to give our teachers the courage and the strength to risk take as well and try mm. it out with a group of kids who maybe want to be taught in a different way. Sport education model, huge when I was teaching. I know some schools where they're still doing it now where the, the lesson is given over to the children to come up with what it is they're going to do. They, they get points for bringing their kit. They get points for leading the wall. They get points for leading um, skill sessions, for umpiring, officiating, all that, all that that goes with it all. And I think we've got to give the kids responsibility. And we know when children have the responsibility and we, we empower them, that's when we get the most out of them. So let's listen to our young people and really then put together, as Danny has said, that curriculum that is fit for purpose and is relevant to the needs of the young people of today. Amazing answer. Thank you, Kate. And I think I think that's why uh, uh, the new deep dives, I think that it works mm. incredibly well for this because you get to sit there and you get to showcase mm. your curriculum, your intent, you know, everything you just said, if you said that, you know, to get that out to an Ofsted inspector, it really, you know, highlights everything you do. And then they go off and they, they see it and they speak to the young people. So it's, mm. I think deep dives are, are brilliant in that way because it really helps the the actual um, subject leaders and the, and the teachers to showcase what what they do and what they do every day and they do it well. Hopefully, mm. I guess I guess one of the things we need help with though, Libby, is um, is, is what are we actually assessing and and, mm. and how how do we monitor the progress that young people are, are making within PE because. That it, you know, we, we can change the curriculum design and we can change the intent and we can do everything that singing and dancing, like Kate and I have alluded to. But without changing those prehistoric structures that are behind the scenes in terms of um, assessment, we're, we're getting nowhere. Um, so in my school alone, the comparison that I'm making um, from, for progress in PE, in practical PE, in core PE, is Fisher Family Trust Data, FFT. Well, it's irrelevant. Uh, well, you know, I, th I'm I, think, not... I think we get rid of them, don't we, Danny? Ab absolutely. And, you know, th the assessment about levels was, was a step in the right direction, but still we're, we're, we're trying to communicate something to parents that doesn't really make sense to the teachers, let alone the young people. Mm. So, so we really need to look, you know, if any school leaders are listening to, to this um, tonight, please go, go away and reflect on what we want to measure and, and how we evidence in progress in, in this practical subject, because... If we carry on going what we're doing, it's going to kill it. Well, I'm going to talk about PSHE again now because you don't <laughs> you don't have levels for PSHE um, yet. I still have to assess the impact um, in exactly the same types of ways that you would for for PE. So why why is it that you have to have them for PE? Um, so yeah, Absolutely. some really good, really good points there. Um, 
So I'm going to end the show with you two. I'm just going to ask, because it is Teachers Talk Radio, and for anybody that's going to download the podcast later on as well, um, what is your standout best memory um, at school? And it doesn't have to have been to do with PE. So for, for you, Kate, I'm going to put you on the spot. What would say, what would be either your favourite teacher or a best memory or anything at all that you'd like to share with us? Uh, oh, that's a cracking question. Wang, you <laughs> have put me on the spot. I know, I'm I sorry. It, no, I think it was um, Interhouse. Um, we had a really yes. strong um, Interhouse structure in school. Um, mm. And it was at the heart of the school. But it wasn't just about PE. It was about music. It was about public speaking. It was about the mass competition. Everything, literacy, it was all there. And it really galvanised um, your tutor group but also then that tutor group into the bigger structure of the house. And I, I just loved it. I loved the challenge of, of seeing other people's, yeah. uh, my friends sort of um, achieve, and not necessarily in the academic sphere because there was something yeah. for everybody, whether it was the cooking competition. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, was, it was just incredible. And if there's one thing I would say to, say to our, our staff who are listening today, get that into house going again. It, it really does yeah. galvanise a community at school. I, I worked at a school and we called it a Champions Challenge. And yes. I'm, I was, a, I think it was a head of year at time and I did it with another head of year. And uh, one of the things that we did that the students, so I remember our deputy head teacher and the head teacher were like, no, we don't want this happening. Like we're really worried. And they did apple bobbing. Yeah. <laughs> and it was amazing. I mean, it was carnage, but it was, was amazing and everybody was cheering everybody on and it, it was just it was just brilliant and it it literally highlighted everything that you just said um what about you Danny uh I, th- I think when the, I, I was a terror at school I was I was a nightmare and one of the reasons I wanted to get into teaching was to teach people like me I was I was generally <laughs> bored I was bored mm. in the classroom and, and my behavior was shocking um but one of the things that, that I think saved me um, towards the end of my educational journey was becoming a prefect. And I've got no idea in a million years why I was selected um, and how I got it. But, but just that different colour of tie and the responsibility that was then put upon me, I had to grow up. I had to be independent very quickly. I had to become a role model to younger people. Um, and, and that really did save me. So one of the things I've taken into my career is, is every school I've worked in, I've always wanted to be involved in the prefect system, whether it be training the prefects, supporting the prefects in their role, or, or getting it going up and running within a school. Um, but it's so, so important, and, and I'll never forget it. Well, I never knew you were a prefect, Danny. Do you <laughs> no, still have your tie? I do. I do have my tie. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and find it out, and I'll try and tweet a photo later. Yes, and you can uh, if you if you put in at Teachers Talk Radio as well, we'll uh, we'll get that out for the world to see. (laughs) I love it. Um, I mean, I I I just loved school. I think like I did really enjoy school, probably for the wrong reasons, like Danny, um, but. (laughs) Also for the right reasons as well, but I'd, I suppose one of my favourite memories we had um, we had a science cover teacher, um, and it was carnage. The whole of the science department was complete carnage, and we had this one amazing head of science um, trying to do about sixty thousand jobs, I think. And uh, this cover teacher had no control over us, and we I mean this is awful. We we pushed all the tables and the pews back in the science lab, and we this must have been about year nine, and we had a student. I remember his name was Sam 
and he was so good at gymnastics and we just made him do all these flips and these jumps and we like circled him and we were like going go Sam go Sam <laughs> and the cover teacher was just stood at the side because he just didn't know what to do with us and the head of science came in and the whole class just stopped because obviously there was respect there for him and the cover teacher ran into the middle and went and that is how the human body works <laughs> <laughs> sounds <laughs> like, like a pretty good PE lesson <laughs> are a legend um, for all the wrong reasons but I think that was one of my favorite memories um anyway I'm gonna let you two go thank you so much for giving up your hour this evening I think you've been absolutely brilliant and you've worked so well together like definitely definitely you haven't spoken over each other um clearly experts at this so please come back and do it all again um perhaps next year that would be absolutely fantastic no worries Louis. thanks for the invite no worries yeah thanks very much and if i can just sort of remind people as well that it's children's mental health week the 7th to the 13th of february and let's use PE and physical activity and school sport to really try and make a difference to our young people at the moment but thanks so much for having us Libby. not a problem and and please do come back on and we'll we'll definitely be promoting uh youth sports trust through the teachers talk radio oh thanks very much okay lovely thank you so much have a lovely evening what's left of it Bye. Thanks, Libby. No problem. Um, brilliant, absolutely fantastic show. It's got me. Uh, it's got me reminiscing about my school cover teachers now. Um, I'm. I'm just going to sort of highlight some of the things that were said from Kate and and Danny so eloquently as well. Um, and they did. They bounced off so well with each other. Um, so I think for me, one of the main things um, thinking about a curriculum and in particular a PE curriculum is that it's all about the student voice. You've got to tailor your curriculum to the students and listen to them. Otherwise, it will not work. And I think particularly when it comes to those unmotivated young people, because actually those are the ones that you've got to get motivated. You've got to get them thinking about what PE means to them. And it's not about being the best at sport. It's about, you know, being a really good leader. It's about, you know, showcasing problem solving techniques, about team building. Um, And that's how you design the curriculum, you design it around it, you listen to them and you go for it. And little tips about changing some of the changing room setups, thinking about the the PE kit that the students are, are having to wear and how confident and comfortable they feel in. Because it is mortifying having to wear something that isn't your school uniform um and in PE in particular for some girls and for some boys that's a really difficult part of PE that changing experience and you know we're talking about inclusivity and how you know everybody needs to feel confident and comfortable within those lessons um and empower the students get the students to you know own their sort of PE lessons and we absolutely have to remember that the links and the significant importance towards their mental health in particularly we've come out of a pandemic but also because they are young people and that's our duty to do so I've had an absolutely wonderful evening of CPD uh, within PE and that's that's generally why I do it and it's it's a very um it's a very personal thing, but it, it, it does so well for me. So I hope you've really enjoyed it. And if you've interacted with us this evening, that is fantastic. Next week, I've got Stephen Tierney joining me on the show. So please get your thinking hats on for that. Have a fantastic evening, everybody. Um, and thank you so much. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.